This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our sixth episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please find me at Home Bodies Yoga on Facebook and Instagram. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. My yoga practice this week has been really good. Um, Yeah, I'm realizing, so this is my second year back uh, in a place where there's seasons. I lived in the Bay Area for 12 years and, or maybe more, 12-ish years and, you know, the, the weather kind of changes there, but it's not really seasonal the way Chicago is, like, four seasons. And I'm just starting to realize that, like, my practice really does need to shift with the seasons that, like, I sort of what I need changes. So I've, in my meditation practice, since it's gotten cold and dark, I've been feeling just, like, really groggy and having a really hard time focusing. So I started doing this uh, pranayama practice before I meditate, which I'm not sure there's a name for it, but I learned it from Rob Stryker. And it's basically you do a couple rounds of Kapalabhati, the skull shining breath. Then you hold your breath, engage all the bandhas, so mula bandha, um, jalandhara bandha, the stomach lock. Um, so you engage all the breaths, then hold that for a moment, then you, when you breathe in, you go right into Nani Shoda, the alternate nostril breathing, and you do a couple rounds of that. So the whole thing, all told, probably takes a minute or two. And then I do a couple rounds of that. And then after that, I do a couple rounds of Ujjayi and then a little bit of Veloma breath, which if you're not sure, Veloma is the, the breath where you breathe in about a third of the way, pause, breathe in another third, pause, Breathe in all the way to the top, pause. And then you do the same with the exhale. So it's just like this sort of like staggered breathing where you pause between. Um, and this combination of breath has been so helpful in uh, focusing my mind. And actually, even for the rest of my day, I feel like I can feel its effects. Like, of course, I'm still drinking coffee, but I feel like I don't need it as much. Um, it's really like sh- makes my mind feel sharp, which feels really good. Um, yeah, I was thinking about I was like running and listening to Jay-Z and in that one song where he goes like there's a million ways to get it choose one and I just feel like you know this practice is just like I'm always like okay let's try this way like you know and then this way is working for a while and then it stops working so I have to find another way to get it and I guess it being like peace or clarity or whatever um yeah and then there's something about uh taking a moment to pause and breath that I think is really good for me because I have a really hard time with unfinished business, like, um, being calm when, when I don't know the answer to something. I mean, maybe, maybe this is like saying I don't like hospitals, like sort of no one does. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, maybe this is universal, but this feeling of like when something's not quite finished or unknown, you know, something's unknown, I have like a very hard time not being anxious about it. And this breath is kind of practice for that, right? Because when you're pausing, um, or holding the breath, there is this like, um, practice in, in learning to be calm, even when something's not quite finished, right? The, the body kind of senses there's like something weird going on when you've only breathed in a third of the way and calming the mind during that is, I just think is like really good brain practice for me. 
Um, oh, and then, you know, of course, after I do all these breathing practices, I do end up meditating. So the whole process takes a little bit longer. The breathing probably is like seven or eight minutes. And then I'd like to meditate for 10 if I have time. Um, so it's like a little bit of a longer process, but it's totally worth it. I really, really, yeah, it's been working for me. So that's all I can ask is finding that one way to get it, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm so excited for you here, uh, uh, here the interview today. It's with, uh, Brima Jaw, who I interviewed him last night and my mind was just like going over and over what he said all night in like a really nice way. Like I, I feel like I, I slept, but I like, it like washed over me. Um, Brima is like, if you, um, like if you could, you know, like a, someone says like, oh, that guy has a strong handshake. Um, I feel like Brima personified is a strong hug. Like he is very clear in uh, what he's saying and very, um, like specific, but I also feel like he has just a lot of warmth and kindness behind everything he says. Um, so I really enjoy talking to him. His perspective on the yoga practice, um, is one I haven't I haven't really heard before and it's really interesting and it definitely gave me a lot to think about and it I agreed with so much of it during the interview I'm like yes I can't stop nodding like you can't see me nodding but basically the entire time Brim is talking I'm nodding a lot <laughs> um so I hope you enjoy it here is Brima welcome Brima thank you so much for being here thank you for having me of course um yeah. so before we get started talking about your practice, can you just talk a little bit about what your day-to-day -day life is like, what you're up to these days? Wow, yeah. Um, you know, my day-to-day -day life is it's a mix of things um, because what I try to do for myself is have a way that um, my life isn't centered around my, my work that I do during the day as a social worker, um, that there's some way that the start of my day isn't necessarily like focusing on work emails, for example. Um, so I've just been trying to um, wake up and write uh, a list. Um, it's like a, an ongoing list of uh, everything that's important to me. Um, and I had someone recommend this. Um, I'm, about to enter like a coaching life coaching process for myself and it's it's really about me trying to distill down um all the sort of noise that comes with um being a social worker during the day and then having this other part of my life that's teaching yoga and teaching yoga teacher trainings um to to have it be more about me as a person um and, and, and really get into, okay, so I'm getting up, I'm going to work. I spend the day meeting with, um, kids and families. And, you know, um, but before that, I'm doing some kind of practice for myself. Um, and then like throughout the day, I take myself away from whatever is happening and deliberately disrupt the sort of monotony of being focused on other people. Um, which isn't a complaint. It's just an acknowledgement of what I do um, for work. And then, um, 
give myself time to focus on myself and then return to focusing on other people. So, so the reference is not me trying to gain something from, um, extending support to other people. It's I give back to myself. And then once I feel fuller, I can be more accessible to helping out other people, so to speak. Um, so, you know, during the week, it's, it's, um, maybe like three, sometimes four days a week, I'll, I'll do a home practice. Um, and at least one of those home practices I use is like a, a way to explore, experiment, um, what feels good. Um, and then take from that to, to share eventually if I'm teaching that week or, or teaching teacher training. Um, and you know, I have to say like a big piece for me these days is like, it's about being creative in ways to, um, sustain human connection, human contact. Um, because we're also, uh, you know, air quotes, socially distant. Um, when really it's like we're physically distant, but we're socially engaged, hopefully, um, sort of thing. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I have, I have, but now I have more questions. <laughs> great, great. I really like this idea of a list. I've never heard this before. So is this like bullet points for your day or is this like an ongoing list of what's most important to you or both? Is it both? It's an ongoing list of what's important to me. Um, and I don't know what the rationale is so much behind the, um, the life coach who I'm working with. Um, but I think that's what I like about it mm. is, um, I can make my own meaning of it while I'm in the process of doing it. Um, but still do it. Um, and it's just nice to, for me who I would say I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so writing when I start to do that can be a thing of like, before I even start writing, I'm editing in my mind, what I'm going to put down on paper. So this is more of an exercise of like, uh, stream of consciousness. Just write down whatever comes to mind, whatever comes to heart that is most important to me. And it doesn't have to make sense. There aren't any rules about it. Um, there aren't any, you know, reasons to uh, do one thing or not the other. It's just do it. Um, and, you know, for better or worse, there's some things I'm like, really, is that important to me? Um, it, there's some feelings that come up around it. And then it really... Um, it helps me confront myself around whether or not the values I have, um, are represented in how I spend my time. Mm. Uh, if that makes sense, it's like, you know, um, an example I can think of is, um, I noticed, uh, putting down like singing is important to me. Um, do I sing on a regular basis? No. Um, but it's something that's important to me and it's good to remember that. So then I sing. Um, and you know, seeing it on paper is like, it's a way to prompt myself to like, okay, remember, remember. Um, and that's also an interesting thing is the, the remembering, um, because you know, the coach I've started working with has talked about Literally, when we when we remember, we're bringing ourselves back together. 
when we dismember, we're taking ourselves apart. And there's so much, um, well, I mean, unless you're living under a rock, um, and you're a human, uh, you, you may, you may not be aware, but most of us are aware of so many things that are happening and it just feels, um, it feels like a storm that's relentless. You know, like you have, um, a storm and then like maybe there's a calm before the storm. And then of course the storm will eventually, eventually pass and then there'll be calm again. But it seems that at least for this year, we've just had a litany of storm after storm after storm. And so when you can barely taste, experience the, the quiet or maybe start to settle, our nervous systems get triggered all over again. Um, and I'm not an exception to that. I'm not an exception to, you know, like now that the election's over, I sleep better. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, but that's, that's just one of the things that's going on. Like, wow. Um, and, and when we get into that sort of heightened state of, of arousal, um, it can be hyper arousal or it can be hypo aroused where it's a, it's a response to a trigger, a trauma. Um, and there's a way that we can get frozen in being in survival mode because we're trying to respond to a crisis. There's never a way to find uh, time, space, resource to enjoy because there's a lot of time that we're spending just trying to get by and recover. Um, so, you know, and, and who wants to be just surviving if we have uh, the hope or maybe even the option to be thriving? Yeah, definitely. And so part of what the list does is remind you of those things that help you thrive. Is that one of the things? Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things that it does. Um, you know, another thing that it can do is like affirm. Mm. Um, if, if what's coming out on the paper is actually in alignment with how I spend my time, who I have in my life, um, even what I choose to not do, um, then, you know, there's a way that it, it feels like, okay, good. You know, like this is actually what I envision for myself. Um, and you know, I don't know. I think it's like, um, I'm not remembering who said it, but something like the ultimate, um, way of living life is to see the vision that you have for yourself manifest into something real. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, and that, that's a very like, uh, poetic statement. Um, but hidden in that is all the work it can take to, um, to carve out that space. At least from my perspective, it feels like work. Um, but I think, you know, you're talking about moving to Chicago, um, when we first, um, started chatting today and, um, you know, there are plenty of people who are considering, um, if I have a finite amount of resources and I'm living in one particular place, for example, the Bay Area, <laughs> then the question becomes like, is this really how I want to allocate my resources and time, money, energy, uh, effort, um, you know, uh, just all the resources going into needing to 
generate more resources. Because if I don't do that, then I can't make rent or I can't, um, you know, go on vacation. Uh, but of course, we have vacation looks very different now yeah. <laughs> with, with COVID. Um, but it's just to say that, you know, it's like, I don't know why, but the, the phrase like, get your, get a bang for your buck comes to mind, mm. um, or, or stretching your dollar. Um, and money is one of many resources, but it represents exchange. Mm. And, and this idea of if I am, um, I was talking to another friend about this today that sometimes it feels like we're working just to do more work. So um, depending on who we are and where we stand in a position of privilege, um, and privilege has many different uh, faces, can look very differently. Um, it can be that there's just this constant pressure to do, 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 keep on doing, keep on doing, keep on doing. Because if I stop doing, then maybe I'm at a deficit or I feel like I'm, I have scarcity, which is kind of ironic to say I have scarcity because it's still, we have something and we have nothing. We still have something um, because we can be creative about how to make something out of nothing. Um, and, you know, then it's also nice to not need to make something out of nothing that you feel fulfilled in some way. And so there isn't this need to try to have, to try to have like external references for what, what can define having a good life. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah. I, I was also wondering about, so you're a social worker also, and you were talking about how you, part of your process is that you need to take time for yourself. And part of that is your yoga practice. How, how exactly would you say, like, how does your yoga practice prepare you for your day as a social worker? Mm. Um, I love that question because the way that my yoga practice helps me prepare <clears throat> to be a social worker is the way that my yoga practice prepares me to, to be anything that I am. Um, and by that, I mean, in getting to know myself, um, over my lifetime, there's been, a, there've been a lot of things that I've done to be getting to know myself better. And I think I'll always be getting to know myself better before my last breath. Um, and one of the things I've learned about myself is that I used to say that I've been very sensitive. You know, someone says something or someone feels a certain way or there's this thing happening that um, I could feel very sensitive about it. You know, but what does that mean? Um, and in essence, what I'm learning is it means um, I can be very permeable to my own experience of my emotions, to the experience that um, other people are having with their emotions or their inner experience that maybe we don't know the narrative of it. We don't know what exactly it is, but it's something that has a presence. Um, and when we talk about 
boundaries, that's that's something that's been um, more recently in my yoga practice very important to me is that there's a way to come into a form, a formality, a structure in the way that we set up our yoga practice. Um, and mine, my home practice is inspired these days a lot by the Katona yoga practice. Um, and so that brings about a sense of stability. So, and that sense of stability, it's like, it has to do with what you might say, like root chakra and community and security and safety. And so that has to do with like your, your legs, your pelvis. It could be like first and second chakras. And then as you move up your body, you also arise from stability into ability. Because when we feel safe or when I feel safe, using myself as an example, I, I start to become more capable. I start to see maybe more of a, um, the potential of things, choices that I can make as opposed to feeling helpless with whatever circumstance that I'm in. And then when I can make different choices, that's me being able to have some agency. And I don't want to say have control or power in a way that's like hungry for control or power, but that I can impact, I can affect change for myself, by myself. Uh, and so once I have that ability from the stability that I've gained, it can continue to bring me into having a vision because there is a way, a way that I can say it simply is like a lot of the times when things feel really rocky and unstable and unsafe and insecure and we feel lonely, the last thing that we can consider is what vision we have for ourselves in the future. Because we're so focused on, I just need to have a sense right now. Be, I need to be here right now and feel okay in my body and okay in myself. Um, and so that's what a lot of the yoga practice helped me do. Is it helps me, and we, we say in the Katona Yoga community, be at the center of my circumstance or stay at the center of my circumstance. And what I mean by that is, you know, um, it, it's really funny because yoga, when I first started practicing it, it was like this. I treated it like I need to go get my yoga fix because when I go to yoga, I sweat, I breathe hard. And depending on, you know, where I was taking class or doing it at home, maybe I chant, I meditate and oh my God, I feel so restored, rejuvenated, replenished. And that's actually the romanticized version of yoga because the, the real experience of yoga as I've had it in my own body, in my own mind is it tends to allow us to feel that much more deeply what we were already feeling, what we were already experiencing. And so when we try to use it to get away from what's really there, it's like we're working against ourselves. And so um, what I find is that in my yoga practice, I can have whatever my feelings are because part of the, the air quote sensitivity is like, oh my God, I have all these feelings. 
And oh my God, I feel overwhelmed by them. And oh my gosh, someone else around me has their feelings. I had my feelings, but now that person has their feelings too. Did I handle my feelings? How do I feel about myself to be able to be with someone else and how they feel about themselves without conflating the two, without allowing myself to in some way be um, penetrated by someone else's experience, without me internalizing how someone else is living life? with their challenges that I can empathize without internalizing um, that, that it can be possible to have compassion and have boundaries at the same time. Um, and this is not, it's nothing new per se because the accessibility to those boundaries or those sort of limits and the stability has always been there, but whether or not I've chosen to move towards it, um, you know, I think at, at this point in my life, I, I really, you know, for, for a lack of better way to put it, I don't, I don't have as much tolerance for bullshit. I just don't. So, um, you know, if I've checked in with myself and I feel like I'm at the center of my circumstance and, you know, maybe I woke up in the morning and I felt a little grumpy, but I still move through that grumpiness. The grumpiness doesn't just stay there. It becomes something else. And so the yoga practice really helped me to stay in myself rather than get pulled out of myself, pulled out of the center of my circumstance, and then start to say, oh, that person made me feel this way. That that person did, or this thing happened to me. It's like, that's one perspective. That's one angle. And the other angle is, well, if this is happening right now, what can I do in my capacity, in my agency to be in a relationship to what's happening without getting sucked into it, without getting consumed by it? Uh, and so whether or not I'm a social worker, I'm a person navigating life and relationships that have contact. And when we're in contact with each other, that's really, it's, it's such a, a rich place for learning if we allow ourselves to be in the vulnerability and the risk of it. Um, you know, instead of being invested in like, well, this is just how I am. That's the other thing about my yoga practice is, uh, you know, um, there's a way in, in the Katona yoga community we talk about Sometimes when we're doing our yoga practice or when we're doing our life, we get so precious about it. Oh, it's my, this is my altar and I need to roll out my yoga mat and let me smooth the corners and, oh, the temperature isn't quite right. And, oh, let me, I need to tune in my playlist. And I'm being, you know, facetious, um, which is not to diminish that those things are nice. Those things are enjoyable, but those things aren't the practice. Um, and, and so it can be easy, I think, for us to get preoccupied with having things be just right. And then I can, you know, practice or then I can relax or then I can feel good, you know, but the times right now, what, what can I do right now with what I'm given? Um, yeah. Gosh, I wish everyone could see how much I was nodding that entire time. Just vigorous <laughs> nodding to give myself a headache. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that so much, especially 
as the yoga practice, you know, that idea of the yoga practice used to be a fix. And now I feel like the more boring my practice is, the more it serves me, or the more, not boring, but simple. And just, mm. just you know, it, the more I'm served by it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about Katona Yoga? I don't know that much about it. Is it like a set sequence or what's it like? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And um, it's a question that comes up a lot. And I could give you a response to that question, but it would never be an answer because the the most honest answer would come from you experiencing it yourself in your own body, in your own mind. Um, but if I try to respond to your question, it would be that Katona Yoga is a syncretic practice, meaning it incorporates uh, elements of different practices. So there's some um, like Kundalini Kriyas that are in it. There's um, a lot of inspiration from the use of props, not so much in the way that um, we might think of how Judith Lassiter, for example, um, so beautifully teaches restorative yoga, where there's, you know, we're kind of relaxing or releasing into the, the shapes uh, that we typically call poses. Um, when rather with Katona Yoga, it's like we use blocks, we use straps, and we use um, blankets, and the blocks are like scaffolding on a building, and the straps are like ligaments. And, uh, the blocks are also like scaff, like, um, a, a chair, for example, could be like scaffolding. And so the idea is that, um, there's, uh, Taoist theory that's used. And one great principle of, of Taoist, well, there are a lot of great principles. I'm, I'm learn, I'm learning about it really very newly. Um, but one of the things is that, um, we see how nature repeats itself, um, in patterns. And through those patterns, it reveals its intelligence. So I don't doubt that it's by, it's not by coincidence that, you know, as you said, when you have the most simple practice, um, and, you know, we were even going to say boring, but boring actually is something that suggests something is predictable and something can have repetition. And when we have repetition, we can be in that repetition and even though we're repeating things, it helps us build fluency. And when we build fluency, we feel more capable. Um, and so Katona Yoga um, is really about encouraging us to use the things that we don't usually use so that we can use more of ourselves. But I'll say it again. Katona Yoga is something that helps us use the things that we don't usually use so we can use more of ourselves, in fact, our whole selves. So it's like this idea, um, you know, I can uh, I can share from my own experience. It's been almost like five years now. I had a pretty serious life-threatening accident that had, um, you know, the result of some injuries and trauma. And um, that's the past. And I can't do anything about the past. None of us can do anything about the past or our damage our trauma, our history, you know, these are memories. And so um, with Katona Yoga, what happened for me is I had a sense of, oh, you know, 
I've been not doing certain things because I was told that it's not good for me to do it. But rather than me challenging why I was told it's not good for me to do it, I just chose to not do it. And so in doing that, um, I or any of us, can we can risk diminishing ourselves. But when we say, okay, you know what? Even something as simple as when I stand up, I'm leaning more into my left hip. And so if I'm leaning more into my left hip, I'm using my left hip all the time, over and over. And then, well, I have two hips. And well, I have two legs. And so what tends to happen is it's not that we don't ever injure things that we don't use, but most of the time an injury happens in a place of our body or even our mind that we use too much. And so the idea would be if I'm favoring my left in a Katona yoga theory, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to go over to the right and the right might feel awkward. It might feel uncomfortable. It might even feel, you know, like it just is not right. But all those things are because I've been biased to go with what I've always used. And I have so much investment in stand. This is a silly example, but I have so much investment in, in favoring my left leg or my left hip when I'm standing into it that I start to say like, oh, well, this is just how I am. <laughs> and it's like, well, is that how you are or is that because it's a pattern or habit? And so that's where the liberation of Ketonia, the practice can come is a practice of hope when we say, you know, I actually can do something different. And when I do that something different, it challenges me to get a different habit. But I can't get a different habit unless I make different choices. And when I make those different choices over a period of time, and I've repeated them over and over again, those choices become habits. Those habits become new patterns. And those new patterns become new life. And so it sounds very magical or, you know, like, um, uh, like, oh, it's, it's such a great ideal, but it's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And it's not to say that, um, you know, Katona Yoga is for everyone or that Katona Yoga is the way, because that's one of the things that I've appreciated about Katona Yoga is that it's a theory and a practice. So it's not like, um, I'm in any position to say, gosh, Rebecca, you know, you have to do Katona yoga because this is the miracle of life. This is the elixir. You know, that's not at all, um, an approach that is useful. And that's what I've liked about Katona yoga is it's, it's actually in my mind, part of a larger movement of it isn't because, um, we have someone who is, um, enlisted in a role as our teacher and we're assuming the role of a student that the learning is um, only in one direction, meaning there's only knowledge, there's only wisdom, there's only insight transmitted from the teacher to the student. No, each of us are teachers. Each of us have our insight. Each of us have an innate capacity to be in a particular shape. And I'm saying that deliberately as opposed to pose. But we can be in a certain shape 
And rather than trying to contort our bodies to be in a certain pose, because we all do a lot of posing in our life, it's not a judgment, it's just an observation. Um, rather than be in the pose, how can I get it into a certain angle? And how can I focus on how my body is like a house? I have a first floor, that's my legs, my feet. I have a second floor, that's my chest, my arms. And then from like my shoulders on up to my head is the third floor. And so then I have my stability, my ability, and my vision. And so I'm always working with that. Even though there are three fours, in the, the, the metaphor of the body being like a house, there are nine rooms in the house. And in each of those rooms, there's something connected with each of the other parts of our body. So it's like we have actually stability in our ability. Mm-hmm. And we actually have ability in our vision. And we have vision in our stability. And so everything is in everything. Just like everyone is connected to everyone. And we're seeing that with a virus that's impacted the whole world. Um, you know, I don't know that there's so far been any more blatant of a testament that we're all connected. Mm-hmm. Literally, literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, I'm, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you've just come home from work, but I do have one last question. I haven't gotten to take your class in years because I live in Chicago now and I have a yeah. baby and all this. But I, one thing I remember from your classes is that you, every time I would take your class, I would be like, well, that's exactly what I needed, but I didn't know it. <laughs> like that yeah. pose or that class was the pose I needed. So can you talk about those days when you're uh, getting ready to teach? Like, like, how do you how do you just know what we all need so bad? <laughs> or <laughs> you know that's it's, it's that's funny that you say that because I was taking a private um with a friend of mine. You may know her, Mary Dana. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, of course, it's through Zoom. And she saw me. I don't I don't even remember exactly what I was doing or not doing, but she saw me and basically, you know, uh, lovingly called me out on what I was doing. And I turned to her and I said, Oh my God, you see everything. Uh, and, and her response was, you know, um, that actually is very fascinating because I teach because I don't see everything. I teach because, uh, if I'm really in the teacher's seat as an eternal student, then I have the humility to say, I, I can't see everything. And because I can't see everything, that puts me in a position to learn more. That puts me in a, in a position to see different angles. That puts me in a position to be less invested in what I believe I already know or what I believe is right. And so when I'm teaching a class, um, I, I appreciate the, the, uh, the compliment that it feels is like it's something that you know, you or someone would need, but, um, you know, I would say that, that, that's less of the focus for me anticipating what others need and more of how can I just show up and teach honestly? Because a lot of the time, I would say all the time, what I'm teaching 
is based on what I've needed. And it's not to say that what I need is what everybody needs, but that's how we can get into how the personal relates to universal. It's like, we can think like, oh, you know, I'm the only one going through this horrible thing with this person or at my job. And, you know, we just take it so personally what's happening. And it's a real thing that, you know, we experience things and we feel as though it's happening to us. Um, but none of us are immune to suffering and all of us can benefit. I'm biased, perhaps, when I say all of us can benefit from um, experiencing ourselves really living in our body. And, you know, um, the Katona Yoga practice has a, a way of mapping that experience. So when we talk about the body being like the house, it's like, how can we live in more rooms of the house as opposed to, you know, there's some rooms where, oh my God, you know, that room's a mess. Let's just meet it here. Yeah. You know, that's also symbolically, you know, what we do, what we can do with our body is we risk throwing some parts of ourselves away. And so my aim when I'm teaching, um, is to hopefully, you know, offer someone an experience within themselves, with themselves in their body that's not thinking about, you know, even if it's like for like two or three minutes, that it's not thinking about what we're going to have for dinner or what we should have done right at work or regretting something that we said to our partner, you know, that it's just to be with ourselves. Well, now I know everybody is going to need to know how to take your classes. So can you tell us where we <laughs> can find you? Yeah. So um, I teach uh, a class on Thursday evenings, um, Pacific Standard Time, 6.30 p.m. Um, it's through um, SanFranciscoLaughingLotus.com. Um, and so you could register there. Um, I'm also um, partnering with Dia Penning. Um, to teach a 25 hour teacher training on yoga and social equity that starts this Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, and so initially it was just for teachers, but it's now been extended to everyone who is interested in or maybe even afraid of, um, doing the work that, um, we all need to restore social equity. Um, this Saturday, I'm also going to be teaching a pop-up Katona Yoga flow class. It'll be from 10 a.m. to 11.15. And um, anyone who wants to, to join in on that can uh, get information from me through my Instagram handle. It's Yoga with Brima. I also have a website. That's the same thing, yogawithbrima.com. Um, and, you know, I put a lot of energy and time into it to try to make it look fancy. So hopefully some folks will check it out. Yeah, I love your Instagram. Great pictures, great poetry. It's always beautiful. <laughs> thank so. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Prima. Have a good evening. Yeah. You too. Good to see you. <laughs> you see you too. Bye. Right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Prima as much as I did. I keep thinking about that thing he said about the body, the body being like a house and the yoga practice is this way to get into rooms of the house you don't visit very often so I've been un unrolling my mat sort of like what closet needs to be cleaned out <laughs> where's a room I haven't been in a while and it's been a really fun investigation 
Um, I also really liked how clearly he talked about his practice being really the reason he does his practice really being in order to help his relationships with others. He says, he said, my yoga practice allows me to empathize without internalizing that it, so that it can have, so I can have compassion and also have boundaries. Um, and I think to some extent, almost everyone has mentioned their yoga practice being helpful uh, in their relationships with other people, but he was just very clear on it. Um, and actually, it's funny because today I wanted to talk about Yoga Sutra 133, which is actually the first time Patajali mentions other people <laughs> in this book about finding peace, which is sort of funny because, of course, the mind being still is is much easier if you're alone, right? It, I've found when my mind is very troubled or, or racing, it, it often involves my relationships with other people, of course, for better or worse, you know, in a good way, you know, I, you can get all shaken up in a good way and all shaken up in a bad way, but either way, it does contribute to the mind getting sort of flustered. Um, so in, finally in Sutra 133, Patanjali sort of lays out um, how, how to treat people in order to keep a calm mind. And he says, Mind becomes purified by cultivations of feelings of friendliness toward happy creatures, compassion for the miserable, goodwill toward the virtuous, and indifference to the wicked. So that sort of like you can think of these four kinds of peoples as locks, and then the four things that you do are, are sort of keys to unlocking those. So for happy people, friendliness. For the miserable, compassion. For the virtuous, goodwill and for the wicked indifference. Um, I think Judith Lassiter says it much better than me. She says, Pinchanjali suggests that we cultivate friendship toward the happy, compassion toward the miserable, goodwill toward the virtuous, and indifference towards those who are sinful. The choice of his words is deliberate. By cultivating friendship toward the happy, we learn what is happy and to be content with what is. By cultivating compassion toward the miserable, we can see our own miserableness. Practicing goodwill toward the virtuous can help us overcome our natural tendency toward jealousy. And indifference toward the sinful keeps us from judging and hating others. It seems clear that Pantanjali expects the practice of yoga to be carried far beyond the meditation cushion. And of course, right? Because... Um, if we can only find peace for that, those couple moments of sitting on our meditation cushion alone, a f- couple minutes a day, say even hours a day, but the minute that we get up and go interact with those around us as humans do, we get all shaken up, then, then really what's the point? Um, I remember, um, it's funny, I was talking about living on an ashram recently. I didn't live there for very long. I lived there for a couple months, but um, I can remember thinking of staying there forever because there's something really calming about an ashram, right? Like, you know the schedule. It's like a very simple way of life. It's very calming for the mind. You don't make any decisions. You don't really spend money. Like, you just stay there and you work there and you eat there and you don't even think about any of those things. It's all sort of planned for you. So there's a sense of real peace from it. And I remember thinking about staying there and forever or, you know, whatever, for a few more years. And um, this woman got back from visiting her family. And the um, place was in Virginia, but she had gone to like Maryland or something. 
And she seemed so shell-shocked from just being in the world. Like, she could hardly handle it and, like, so agitated and sort of, like, flustered just from, like, being around people who didn't, you know, live in an ashram, so had different sort of ideals. And just from being, you know, you know, having to make decisions like what she would have for breakfast, she seemed so flustered by it that it really just drove home for me that I needed to also be in the world like I thought like oh I don't want to become so dependent on this ashram for peace like I want to find a way to find peace out there in the world and that's what really like drove me to be like okay I will leave (laughs) I will leave after all and go back to the real world um yeah, so I, I think I'll leave it there today. Um, thank you so much for listening. And again, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks again. Talk to you soon.